Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 141 of Dogcast Radio. In this show, we'll be hearing from Jenny Deakin about her classes for grumpy dogs. Grumpy dog is a terminology that I chose to use because I believe that the word aggression is overused in the dog world. And we also have the Dogcast Radio News. But before all that, we have an interview with dog lover and talented artist Carol Pavarnik. Carol has brought out a beautiful book called Dogitude, but I'll leave it to her to tell you what Dogitude is like. Well, uh, the book is basically a showcase of 36 dogs, and it contains a full-color water portrait of each dog. And then every dog has a, a sort of a bio that consists of some anecdotes about the dog that their owner provided, such as their, you know, quirky behaviors and their funny little habits, their favorite toys and that kind of thing. And based on those anecdotes that the owner provided me with, I wrote a little haiku for each dog, which is a little snarky, sort of a little bit irreverent, <laughs> because I imagined that dogs kind of think that way. You know, yeah. they have us fooled. <laughs> they have us fooled into thinking that they worship us, but I'm, all, I'm not so sure about that sometimes. <laughs> I think we're being manipulated. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I was going to say, if you talk to a behaviorist, everything, you know, that's manipulation, that's manipulation. You know, you come in and your dog lies on his back, that's manipulation. You go, no, no, he loves me. <laughs> right, exactly. Mm-hmm. I choose to believe they love me, but, um, you know, in the meanwhile, I know I better hand out the biscuits or else. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have one dog. Is she'll come into my studio. She's old now. She's 14 or so. She's a Jack Russell. Her mm. name is Indy. She has this way of coming into the studio, and she will stand there and bark at me, and she'll turn her head when she does it. You know, she does a little growly bark thing, and she turns <laughs> her head and looks at me sideways, and that dog will not stop no matter what I do. And she'll follow me around the house if I try to leave and ignore her. <laughs> And keep doing it behind my back until I give her a biscuit. She has me so well trained. <laughs> it's hilarious to watch. I should get her on video sometime. Yeah. She's yeah. really funny. <laughs> oh, they are little monkeys, aren't they? And they all have their own particularly, you know, thing that they want you to do or, you know, sit still. I mean, my Labrador, I'm sure, would say sit still. Just sit in one place and let me get on, you know, get my head on your lap. He hates it when you keep moving around and you're busy, you know. <laughs> I have my one little Jack Russell who's a problem child, sort of. He's a, he's a little bit of a challenge mentally. I haven't quite got him figured out. He's half Jack Russell and half Lakeland, so he's got oh. that Lakeland aloofness, and there's just something about him that's different. We'll mm. just call it different. But anyway, <laughs> he he doesn't really like to be touched, so he'll lay next to me. He wants to be in contact with me, uh, so he'll lay next to me on the bed or in the chair, but if I dare move an inch and put more pressure against him with my body he jumps down and he looks at me like what oh can't you just sit still (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny and that same dog he'll he'll want he likes to go to bed at 10 o'clock but i'm not always done working (laughs) so he'll sit next to me about three feet away from me in you know, sitting up in begging position, Aww. and I won't even know he's doing it. You know, he'll, I'll, I'll, I'll know he's there, and I won't. I'll, I'll register that, but I won't look at him. And then I'll look at him, and he's sitting there in that position for Aww. like ten minutes at a time, yeah, waiting for yeah. me to notice him. Oh, <laughs> do you know it's it's amazing when it, on Facebook because Facebook does give us a sort of a view into people's houses and, and you know homes and lifestyles kind right. of thing and so many people put on facebook i have to go to bed now because the dog wants to go i know i've seen that a million times and i just laugh because yes. look he does it too oh yeah. Yeah, that's <laughs> funny um so obviously i mean the, the book is very charming and it, and it is a celebration of of dogs and obviously you you love your dogs and you know you understand that bond um so was it that that led you to create the book that did, was it the celebration aspect that you wanted to um, yes, you know, I mean, what happened in 2000, I have a, had a technical career that was about 25 years long in hmm. computers, and um, I was laid off from my job in 2011. I worked for a defense contractor, and you know how that goes. So hmm. oh, I just looked at my husband, and I said, I'm not getting any younger, honey, and if I'm going <laughs> to 
you know, I think really now is the, the window for me to actually elevate my art hobby to a career is kind of closing. So <laughs> it's time to think about it, uh, really investing in doing that. And so, you know, he, he agreed, you know, and so I started on that track, but I really was lost at the beginning because I didn't have a body of work. I hadn't, I'd just been doing piecemeal things for 30 years. You know, I did mm. some dog portraits and I did horse portraits and I did some crafts and I, you know, so I was like, what do I want to be when I grow up <laughs> to be an artist, you know? And I didn't know. So I was keeping a lot of sketchbooks, you know, I was exploring, I was, I knew I wanted to paint in watercolor, although I failed at it in one previous attempt, but I was determined to get better at it. So I started sketching in my sketchbooks in watercolor. Hmm. And of course, my dogs are all around me, so I started, you know, painting my dogs and sketching other dogs, and then I started writing funny haikus to go with him just because, you know, I'm, I'm always putting words in my dog's now, so yes. to speak, when they're having a conversation with me, I provide the words, <laughs> you know, I act out their part as well as my part when we're having a conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'm like the crazy old lady who walks around the house and talks to her dogs and answers herself. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so, you know, I ended up with this sketchbook and everyone I showed it to just laughed and said that should be a book. So I thought, well, you know what? I need a body of work. I need to do something. Dogs are natural. I love them. They're they're so appealing. It's the perfect thing. And I kind of decided, you know, to specialize in dogs, and I decided that would be a good way to just launch into it. Mm, yeah. uh, because, you know, an emerging artist, it, it's hard to become known as an artist. It's hard to get your work out there. And I figured if I published a book, people would be entertained. They would see my work. And, you know, ultimately, Sure, I hope it results in more pet portrait commissions. That's kind of the goal. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> but it was also just fun to do as a thing, you know, to put something out in the world that is me, you know, that I made. Yeah. That I can share with a lot of people because it's produced to be affordable and so forth. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah. So that's mm -hmm. kind of the story behind it. <laughs> yeah. It's certainly a body of work to be proud of. It, it's absolutely beautiful. Thank you. It, it really is. And um, and you have captured those dogs beautifully. Um, you know, as you say, you, there's the little the bio and, and something about them. And then you look at them and you can you can just see some of, of that character sort of caught in them. Is that an important aspect of it for you that you 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 like to know something about them that that will inform your portrait of them? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I have to admit, I fell in love with every single dog as I painted it. <laughs> I really did. And I, every dog I meet, I think, oh, I want that one. Every time my <laughs> local shelter publishes, they're, this dog's now available for adoption. I'm like, I want that one. <laughs> I mean, I could be a dog hoarder if I wasn't mm -hmm. really careful. But, um, you know, it's, it, it, you just, through interacting with their owners and through learning something about them, you do, you can't help them but fall in love with them. And then you're investing all this emotion in creating a portrait of them. And I mean, I'm so, um, I'm always so worried about it coming out being the dog, mm. you know? Mm. It, that is my goal and my big, huge concern when I'm working on it. It has to be the dog. And there's almost always a moment either sooner or later in the process that something I do, something happens and it becomes the dog. Mm -hmm. Usually when I paint the eyes is when that happens and when I know I have it right. But um, So yeah, it's really important for me to know the animal because I don't see how else I can get their soul in there without knowing something about them. And even when I do portraits for people, just regular commission portraits, I ask for information about the dog. You know, I want to know something about that animal. Yeah. Because that's, they all, they're so different. They're so diverse in their personalities. And I feel like by knowing all that stuff, it's going to somehow feed into the work that I do to paint the dog. Yeah. No. It certainly works. Um, <laughs> it sounds like a little, you know, kind of voodoo-like and, you know, mysterious, I guess, <laughs> the way I just described it. But it, it does seem to work that way. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, tell, tell us a bit more while we're talking about sort of that process. Um, how, how do you work? I mean, do, do you sketch your, the dog or do you take photos? And do you, do you meet all the dogs or can you work just from photos? How, how does that um, work? Well, for this book, I know some of the dogs because they're local and they belong to my friends. So that does help. But I, I did work for photos, uh, from photos for all the, photo, for all the portraits. Mm. Um, yeah, and basically how I work is I take the photo that's provided to me. And, you know, I have some criteria for the photos. I mean, they need to be in good light. I can't work a miracle. Yeah, well, I yeah. could, but it might not look like the dog. <laughs> they need to be in good light. And, you know, I really wanted to see their eyes. I, I, I wanted, in most cases, for the dog to be facing the camera. But for some of the dogs, that's not how the composition is, but it seemed to really work for that dog. Mm. And there's one that's a pit bull in particular named Peaches um, in the book, and she's kind of not quite glancing at the viewer. And I really think it's a pensive moment that she was captured in, and it just really works so well for her. Mm. But um, So I basically take the photograph, and, and I have this very sort of mechanical process in the how I do it, but then I get into the painting of it. So I take the photograph and I grid it in a diagonal grid, which you may have seen in some of the works in progress that I post on Facebook. Mm. And then I transfer that grid to the watercolor paper, you know, where it's proportionally enlarged. And then I, then I refer to the photograph and I sketch the dog on the watercolor paper using the grid as a reference about where to put stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so then once that's all done, I erase the grid on the watercolor paper and I start just kind of putting in some washes to establish the tone and then I will block in the eyes because I really can't stand looking at a portrait <laughs> with the zombie <laughs> blank side stare. So I try to put in some, uh, you know, some idea of the eyes so that I have something alive to look at while I'm yeah. painting. And then I just start building up, you know, it's kind of an intuitive, iterative process. I start um, adding washes, and I'll add them, and I'll instantly go, that's not right, and I'll take, I'll lift some, you know, with watercolor, you can lift the wet paint back up a little bit with a tissue or soften it with a brush. I mean, there's, it's a very engaged, full mind experience yeah. Yeah. Uh, while I'm working through that big phase after I really get into the painting of it. Um, it's many hours. Yeah, of work yeah. and uh, it's hard to find a stopping point and it's that you know while I'm engaged in that I don't answer the phone I don't talk to anybody I usually listen to a book and the funny thing is for all of those paintings in my book I can look at every one of them and remember which <laughs> book I was listening to when I was painting it but anyway at some point I get to a stage where I think okay it's done except for the fiddly details mm. and then I then I come back in and, and sort of do the fiddly details and correct some of the, you know, certain little forms and structures on the face might, the angle might be off a little bit mm. or, you know, it just might not mm. be the right value. And so I fix those things. Yeah. Do you, do you find it helps if you um, give yourself some time? And for example, if I've written something because I'm so involved in it, I, I can't judge it properly whereas if i can put it away for a while and come back to it fresh i can spot better and go oh no that that works that doesn't does that help or or do you stay engaged with it well it does help some but i can't leave too long a gap or otherwise i just completely lose my groove with the paint yeah yeah so what i normally do is after that great big middle push where most of the where the depth and the texture of the coat and the form is really defined then I step away, sometimes for a day or two, and then when I come back, I can actually, you know, your brain gets fatigued. You really just can't keep working on something that takes so much out of you, you know, nonstop until it's finished. So you do mm-hmm. have to take a break, and then I can come back and look at it and have the mental energy to actually see, oh, yeah, that's not right. i got to fix that. i got to mm-hmm. fix that. And then I have the mental energy to actually want to do it because, you know, when you're tired, you just kind of block yeah. things out and yeah. don't want to deal with it. Yeah. So, yeah, so I usually take a, a day or so after um, that big push, and then I, then I take another few hours and just work on the fiddly details. And then 
I set it aside. I set it up in the studio on display while I'm working on the next painting. Mm-hmm. And nine times out of ten, I'll, you know, after a day or two or three, I'll look over at that other one and I'll think, oh, you know, there's that one little tweak. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and I don't, I'm not really in the habit of tweaking things to death and thinking that a painting is never finished. I really do get to a point where I know it's as done as I can make it. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm happy with it, you know. Mm-hmm. So I could pick I could pick them all apart. I could find errors in all of them, but I do, you know, want to move on in life. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um yeah. so how long would that process take? You know, how many hours work? And sort of would that be over a week or 3 4 well, days? How much? Yeah, it takes it takes about 2 to 3 hours to do the preliminary drawing and put the initial wash on and then I put it away to dry. And usually, I work on 300-pound paper, which is very thick. It holds a ton of water. Mm. So I just lay it flat, and I just let it dry overnight. And then the next day, I come back to it. And then usually, it's a whole day getting to, you know, all through the massive work of all the texture, depth, and form, and real, you know, you know, mm. heavy-duty painting work. And then... I put it away, and then I look at it the next day, and that's when I do the fiddly details, which is anywhere from a couple to a couple hours to maybe four hours. Mm. You know, then yeah. it sits, and then I might do another half hour to an hour worth of final touch-up if I see anything that keeps. You know, when you look at a painting, when I look at my work, if something keeps grabbing my eye, yeah. I register that even if I can't figure out why it's happening, and then usually. After I leave it alone for a couple of days and glance up at it, I go, oh, I know what the problem is. Mm, <laughs> then mm. I can fix it. It's, yeah. it's fascinating. <laughs> um, now, I, you know, I've, I've said to you, I, they're all stunning in their own way. And I... I defy anyone to choose a favourite because I couldn't. You know, as you say, you fall in love with them. You go, no, 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 I like that one. And then you turn a couple of... No, 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 I like that one. So it's really... I mean, they are. I found them really, really beautiful. Um, But do do the sort of... If if we look at the stories of the dogs, you know, are there any that sort of stick in your mind from spending time with them or their story that, you know, you can pick out in that way? Well, it's it's impossible to do that. (laughs) I... I love my dog's painting because she's my dog, and, um, uh, you know, I actually have to go get the book and go through <laughs> it, but I could spend an hour yeah. talking about that. Yeah. I mean, my favorite painting from an artist's point of view is mm. the one of the Marima, mm-hmm. it's, it, because I, I went down to the farm where this dog lives to take pictures of him early in the morning, and I just got some fantastic photographs of him, and they were full of color. I mean, he's a white dog, mm-hmm. but the light was, the sun was just coming up and it was a clear day and there was just all this beautiful red and gold morning light in his coat. Yeah. yeah. And I emphasized it some in the painting and I, every time I look at that one, it just makes my eyes so happy, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, he has no real particular story. He's a working dog and he lives on a, uh, you know, a sheep farm, mm. and he does his job there. Uh, but a lot of those dogs have some real stories. I mean, the dog Pixie, she's she's been through really hell and back with with um, health issues, mm. and cost a ton of money to finally, finally, the woman who adopted her um, just spent a ton of money finally getting her better, finally figuring out what was wrong with her. Um, and getting it fixed, and that dog, that dog was, you know, how she ever got lucky enough to finally get rescued by this woman, I don't know, but she's the most sweetest, cutest dog in the world. Mm -hmm. You know, and you just look at dogs like that, and you think, how do people throw those dogs away? Yeah, yeah. How do they, I don't understand it at all, really, that mindset. But she's one of the lucky ones, and you know, she's, mm. she's in her forever home, and she's she's very well loved. Yeah. So yeah. you know, there's a there's a million, and my friend Teresa, whose dog Rainy, who's a border collie mix, you know, he was just 
a complete basket case of a dog, and she really rescued him. I mean, and she he has completely changed. Her pictures of him on Facebook over the time that she's had him have changed so much, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's now this confident, self-assured, beautiful dog, and compared to the pictures that she posted when she first got him, and he looked kind of like deer in the headlights worrying about everything, you know, and yeah. he just... Yeah, so... All these dogs have these stories, and they're mm. fascinating, you know, and just, it's just, it was just so much fun. So it's impossible to answer your original question. <laughs> it's impossible to pick a favorite. Yeah. Because yeah. there are so many special, they're all special. Yeah. Yeah. You know? They are. They, so. uh, you know, I, I think every, I mean, with every dog that you, you share your life with, they all take you on a different adventure. Exactly. You know, and the trick is to be brave enough to go on that adventure sometimes. <laughs> well, you know, a lot of people, my Jack Russell Loki, the Jack Russell Lakeland, a lot of people would have given up on him because he's, he's a tough challenge. Mm. Um, he's a weird combination of passive aggressive and scared and lacking in self-confidence and not wanting to be touched and not being affectionate except when he feels like it. But we're working through a lot of his issues and I can see the changes in him. They're slow. They're glacial. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But, but I'm very observant. I learned a lot from training my mule uh, that I'm applying to him. Hmm. Uh, because a mule is an animal that you really have to think through all the challenges before you face them with anything so that you can anticipate how they're going to react and, you know, be sure that you have your responses planned accordingly. Mm-hmm. And this dog is the same way, and it has actually really helped. So, yeah, yeah. and then, you know, I mean, my one little dog that we have named Tia, she came to us. She just adopted us. Hmm. She was neglected and kind of thrown out on the streets without any shelter by her neglectful owners who are our neighbors, who hmm. were our neighbors. Thank goodness they're not anymore. Yeah. But anyway, and, you know, she would come by for every once in a while and I'd give her a biscuit. And one winter night at, when it was about seven degrees outside, I heard her at two o'clock in the morning, you know, knocking at my door. Uh-huh. So I let her in and she was literally, now she's a little Chihuahua Terrier cross, so she's not very big. And so she has no hair. She was freezing. Uh-huh. And literally this dog was covered with a blanket of fleas. Uh-huh. So she went right into the bath. I yeah. gave her a bath. I got all the fleas off of her. And I put her in the bed with me under the covers. And that dog has never left. <laughs> and she will never leave. Oh, I don't blame her. She knows when she's got it good. Oh. You know, I mean. Yeah. And, and she attacked a bear. We have bears around here in Virginia. So there was yeah. a bear. Apparently there was a bear under under the deck where we have the trash cans. Uh, and he was nosing around down there. And she was out wandering around the yard in the evening and she decided to um engage <laughs> somehow she did not become an hors d'oeuvre although yeah. the bear did its best and twelve hundred dollars later <laughs> in vet bills she was oh crikey. you know yeah. it was deemed that she was actually going to survive but wow. she has these deep puncture wounds on each side in her ribs and her all of the skin was torn off of one of her legs and she was a mess this poor dog yeah. so yeah dogs have no concept of no. comparable size do they they just go i'm i'm fierce i can beat you you know it's just... i know it and especially if they have any terrier dna whatsoever <laughs> yes okay <laughs> dynamic you might as well yes. start a, a vet bill fund because <laughs> oh so yes. i've had terriers for many years and um, <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah yeah they're dynamic i think we have to say don't we dynamic and yeah. feisty yes <laughs> yeah but i love them yeah yeah, that, but again, that's the thing with dogs. There is a, a you know, a, a breed and a mix and a dog out there for everybody. So, you know, it's wonderful. Well, my husband thinks I'm going to become one of those old ladies with the small dog yeah. thing because I, <laughs> I, I'm always saying, look at this picture of this chihuahua in these outfits. You know, there's that certain yeah. group of people that dress their dogs up and... <laughs> <laughs> I I have to laugh. I just think it's hilarious to see mm. that, and he's terrified I'm going to become one of them. <laughs> just might. Yeah, well, you never know. You never know. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, you, you've spent all this time on Doggytude, and it's, you know, your baby, your project. 
It's out there in the big bad world now. So what's the response been like? Well, the response has been surprisingly, consistently lovely. And I've been very pleased about that. I mean, I'm just going by the emails that I get. You know, I did a Kickstarter um, campaign for the book right before I published it, and that was to raise money to fund the book, or fund the promotion of the book. So I got a bit of an audience from that, and then now that when it got published and it was out in the world, I was just terrified that I was going to log into Amazon every day and see, you know, terrible reviews. But no, that hasn't happened. (laughs) I've been very pleased to see. Good. You know, very glowing, happy reviews and gotten lots and lots of emails from people who love the book, lots of people who say I'd like to buy signed copies of the book <laughs> from you. Mm. And so, you know, um, and, you know, as it gets more exposure, I, I'm i sure that I'll see more of that. And, you know, I'm just really pleased that people find it as charming as everyone who saw my sketchbook, you know. yeah thought the concept was that charming and Mm. because you work on a thing for so long and you start to think oh you know this is just so everyday boring you know Mm. because you're just used to it yeah yeah but my the big tell is whenever i give somebody a book who hasn't seen it and especially people who didn't really know about the project before and i watch them read it Mm. it's so nice because they laugh Every time I hear a giggle or an awe, <laughs> you know, it's like this big reward, you know, that yeah. I, I did something right. So Yeah, yeah. excellent, excellent. Yeah. Um, and do you have any more books or projects planned? I'm going to do another Dogitude book, mm-hmm. uh, but probably next year, because this year I'm kind of thinking, <laughs> I don't know if it's going to happen, because um, I have to design it first. But I'm kind of thinking about the idea of Dogitude the game. Oh, wow. As a tabletop game for, you know, families to play uh, or adults at parties or whatever. Just, you know, a fun game, which would involve um, assembling the tiles of a dog's portrait and then writing a haiku you know, based it would be a card game, so it'll all be and there will be some strategy involved. And yeah, yeah. So I've been working on just starting on I, in my head. I've got the mechanics pretty well defined, but um, yeah, excellent. I'm starting to write it down. Then I'm going to make a mock up and play test it with some of my local friends who are fans of the book. Yeah, because yeah. it needs to it needs to be something. I mean, I'm a gamer, <laughs> a gamer person from from way back. So you know. I don't want to play test it with my gamer friends yet because they're not my primary audience. It's really a game that would be for the everyday person who just, you know, like Scrabble or anything else. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's so, fascinating. So if that, if I decide to go forward with that, then that's going to occupy the rest of the year besides getting commissions done that I have. And uh, mm-hmm. I may do a calendar um, this year uh, with some of the new portraits that I've painted and some of the old Dogitude portraits from the book, my favorites from the book. Yeah. And so, you know, there's, and then I have note cards. I mean, there's a million ways to keep spinning it and leveraging it into new interesting stuff. Yeah. Sort of like a franchise. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you, um, sound, you sound busy from your Facebook feed. You, you sound busy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really busy. And, uh, you know, there's book signings. I have a couple of book signings already scheduled. Yeah. I can schedule book signings, you know, I could probably schedule two a month if I kind of went out to this part of the United States, you know, just the eastern area of the United States. Yeah. Um, You know, because there's, and there's just, there's so much. Once you have a product, you know, once you have a book, there's so much you can do with it. It's so much fun. I mean, and I love the marketing part of it. So yeah, yeah. I have to, to me, that's kind of like an interesting and fun chess game to see yes. <laughs> how many people I can reach and whether I can convince them they really can't live without my book. But um, so I'm just, yeah. And then there's, I've been asked by two different groups now to uh, talk about, to come and do a seminar on Kickstarter for creative projects. Mm. Yeah. You know, because that was a real learning experience all by itself yeah and that was it was really interesting and it's kind of a big mystery to a lot of people but you know a lot of creative projects 
like mine was, had a very modest funding goal and it got successfully mm-hmm. funded. And Now, Kickstarter is, is the website, isn't it, where you, you outline your aim? And then and you put a can... pro- yes, you yeah. put a project on there, and then you people people uh, pledge money to it. They, they pick one of the reward levels that you've defined, and uh, they pledge those dollars to your project. Yeah. And it, for a project like this, it, it's essentially considered pre-sales. Um, it's not a donation because every, you know the, for the money they pledge, they get a reward. Yeah. And in my in my case, they got some combination of books, note cards, prints from the book, and or original portraits, depending on which level they pledged at. And mm-hmm. so it's, you know, a lot of times Kickstarter is thought of as the, the way to crowdfund big, fancy technology projects, right? And comic books or games. Um, but it's equally effective for smaller projects like mine if you have an audience, if you've already got a community going, yeah, um, and that's the big kicker right there. I mean, if you don't have, if you haven't taken time to build a community yet around your project outside of Kickstarter, it's going to be really hard mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. get support for your project while it's on Kickstarter. So. Yeah. Well, so anyway, I'm, I'm glad you got the funding, and I'm, I'm glad that yeah. the book's out there and getting such a good response. Um, I know that when people see your beautiful artwork, they will want to know more about you. So where do they find that online? Well, they can look on my website. Uh, that will, about the book, they can look on dogitude.com. Mm-hmm. If they want to know more about me and my artwork, they can look at carolpivarnik.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-E-P-I-V is in Victor, A-R-N-I-K.com. That's my artist website. Mm-hmm. Excellent. I, it's been fascinating hearing about <laughs> how you work because I can't, I'm not arty like that at all and I wish I was. But it's, that's really been fascinating to hear the story behind all those beautiful pictures. So thank you for that. Well, thank you. I've really enjoyed talking about it. Good, good. And, and the best of luck with, with still with Doggy Shoe the book and with the game and, and the next book. And I, you, you're going to be busy for years, I can tell. <laughs> Whatever my brain manages to come up with, right? <laughs> Thank you so much. I have a copy of Dogitude and the portraits really are stunning. Carol likes to support dog rescues and when she does a book signing, she makes sure she supports a local dog shelter with either a financial donation or some Dogitude goodies for the shelter to sell. You could win a copy of Dogitude in our giveaway and to find out more, go to the Dogcast Radio Facebook page where it's just a case of liking the page and the Dogitude photo there. Good luck to Carol with her busy year, and we have all the links mentioned on the Dogcast Radio website. Many who have spent a lifetime in it can tell us less of love than the child that lost a dog yesterday. Thornton Wilder Hello and welcome to the Dogcast Radio News Desk. I'm Nick. And I'm Kate. UK TV presenter Ben Fogel has been speaking his mind about the problem of dog poop left unscooped. Ben lives in the prestigious area of Kensington and Chelsea, but he recently counted 100 rogue doggy droppings in his local park. He has some interesting solutions for the problem. For example, he always picks up one extra poop for each one of his own dogs that he scoops. Maybe if all owners did this, it would be a start. But Ben wants a National Poo Day when we all get out and clean up our communities. We'd love to hear whether you'd be willing to join in with such a project. And on the subject of smelly waste, here's a story that sounds like a joke, but it is in fact genuine. When Ken Wilman was walking his dog Madge on Morecambe Beach in Lancashire, UK, she became very interested in a lump of strange material. The football-sized object smelt horrible, so Ken called Madge away and they went home. However, on a hunch, Ken checked online and discovered the strange stuff was whale vomit, which is used to make perfume and can be very valuable. Ken and Madge hot-footed it back to the beach and luckily for them, their smelly treasure was still there. Ken is hoping to sell the whale vomit for around £100,000. That's over US dollars And Ken says it's sausages every day for Madge from now on. 
When 79-year-old Margaret Charles slipped on ice in Suffolk in the UK, her three-year-old Cairn Terrier Maisie made a break for freedom and was sadly missing for several days. With snow falling and temperatures plummeting, Margaret despaired for her dog, and despite several volunteers searching for Maisie every day, there was no sign. After a week, Jenny Brown and her beagle Tigger were brought into the search, and thanks to Tigger's nose and tracking training, within a couple of hours Maisie was found trapped under a bush in which her lead had become tangled. You can hear an interview with Jenny Brown about her and Tigger's experiences tracking lost dogs in episode 37 of the Dog News Show. In Boston, Massachusetts, there was conflicting news in that apparently, although larger breeds such as the Labrador Retriever, German Shepherd Dog and Golden Retriever remain very popular, landlords prefer much smaller dogs. Most landlords and insurance companies have strict policies that their tenants' dogs should be under £40 in weight, which begs the question, where on earth are all these big dogs living? Plus, of course, does a smaller dog always make a better apartment dog, or are the larger breeds sometimes more laid-back and suitable? If you're affected by this issue, we'd love to hear from you. Meanwhile, there's been cause for celebration in the UK, as some breeds whose popularity had declined have been making a comeback. Several indigenous British breeds have been losing out as people had opted for exotic imported breeds. But the latest registrations of some breeds are indicating that all hope is not yet lost. The English setter has seen an increase of 34% in the number of pups born. And with over 300 pups born, that means the breed is officially no longer vulnerable, although their numbers are being monitored carefully. Other vulnerable British breeds have also seen increases, with the English Toy Terrier rising 25% to 126 puppy registrations and the Sussex Spaniel going up 29% to 74 pups registered. The native British breeds are a varied group and there's almost certainly a dog that would appeal to you in there, so it's well worth checking them out. And now from vulnerable British breeds to breeds which were apparently in danger of extinction in Canada. An article appeared online recently that made some waves on social media sites. The Lapine published an article claiming that Saskatoon, a city in the Canadian province of Saskatchewan, had taken the unprecedented step of banning any dogs under £5 in weight. The article had quotes from Town Mayor and the Saskatchewan Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals and included a list of forbidden breeds, adding that anything with teacup, miniature or lil in its name would be banned although visitors could be accompanied by their small dogs as long as they acquired an undersized canine temporary license. Well, it provoked outrage and humour in equal parts on Twitter and Facebook, but any tiny canines in Saskatoon can relax because the article was a joke. It may be wise not to believe all the dog news you hear, unless you're hearing it from us at the Dogcast Radio News, of course. And that's all from us today. Goodbye. Never stand between a dog and the hydrant. John Piers. Jenny Deakin is a dog trainer who has had amazing success in the heelwork to music discipline. I've watched her and her lovely border collie Tom perform in the heelwork to music finals at Crufts. And over Christmas 2012, Jenny was in a UK TV doggy dancing talent show. Jenny's first dog led her down a path which took her to discover positive training methods and gave her a passion for helping what she calls grumpy dogs, more of which later. But first, we talked about the fact that she's in the middle of preparing not just herself and Tom for Crufts, but a whole team of handlers and dogs. That's right. Um, I have the privilege um, and have done for the last five years um, being invited by the Kennel Club to be the team leader for the, the Hillwork to Music um, Dog Activities Display Team. So uh, I take a team of eight handlers and dogs a day to Crufts and we display twice a day up in Hall 3 um, the, the dog activity of Hillwork to Music. Mm. And I always think that is a, it's, it's great timing and, and great um, placement for you because often, you know, we've sat there and watched the heel work to music and you think, oh, I'm going to have more of a go at this. I'm going to have more of a go. And then you and your team come on and show us some moves and show that any dog can have a go at it. And it really is encouraging. So I, I, I do like your team. 
it is a it's a fab um, activity area. So you can see not just the Hillwoods music, but obviously um, Rallyo, um, uh, Rally Obedience is going to be featured this year. Obedience, competitive obedience. The Gun Dogs are there. There's all the dog activities that the Kennel Club recognise, which is fantastic. Um, and yeah, the dogs that I take up, you know, unfortunately there's generally not border collies in sight. I generally do have non border collies on the team. Mm. Um, and this year I have got such such special dogs. So I've got some real new dogs to the team. I've got an Alaskan Malamute on the team. Oh, wow. um, the Dancing Great Dane is coming back. Excellent. Um, <laughs> I have got um, Pudsey, the dancing dog. I've got his uncle on the team um, this year. So, yeah. you know, we've got uh, all sorts of um, dogs, breeds, ages um, of dog and experienced and less experienced handlers. So it's, yeah, it's, it's a great opportunity because not only do we display in the dog activities ring, um, uh, you know, two demonstrations a day, we also man a little pen area where people visiting crufts can come and interact um, with the dogs in the pen, speak to the handlers, find out a little bit more about um, Hillwork to Music, you know, dog dancing and what, how they got into it. Um, so it's a, a very interactive experience. Yeah, excellent. Now, you mentioned um, Pudsey's uncle there, and obviously mm-hmm. Ashley and Pudsey uh, were on um, Britain's Got Talent last year, but you were on television in the UK at Christmas, weren't you, on That Dog Can Dance? That's right. Tom and I um, had the most amazing experience um, working with the That Dog Can Dance film production crew. Um, We were asked to um, audition for the television programme and we went along and then we were invited back to be part of the programme. And it was the most amazing experience. Tom just showed me what a superstar he is to me. He absolutely loved the experience and even fell asleep on the stage, <laughs> like between takes and kind of set up bits and bobs. And he just took it all in his stride and it was just such fun. And it was such a fun opportunity to share our love and enthusiasm for, you know, dog dancing, dog training um, and responsible dog ownership um, with all the viewers. And I think it was about 3.7 million people watched it. So, yeah, yeah, it's a bit of a surreal experience even (laughs) now talking about it. (laughs) But it's lovely. I mean, uh, Buddy and and I were on um, this morning as part of the uh, Dog for the Dales, Finding an Emmerdale uh, Dog for the soap opera. And we didn't win. But it's, you know, I always look at it as it's such an adventure, and it's a memory that you've made with your dog that you'll never forget. And, and you, you know, you'll have that forever. You did something fun and different together. Totally. Um, but the, all the filming, um, not just in the studio, but the little kind of VT clip that you see just before Tom and I were on. Yeah. Um, that day filming, just, oh, it's just a memory <laughs> that I will always treasure because... The, the, the little clip that shows Tom and I and our relationship and the walk, you know, part of the walks that we go on and there's beautiful scenery in the background, you know, very handsome dog, yeah. um, you know, and, and just what fun we have. Um, I, I just think it was a, a great opportunity and, and well received by many. Had some lovely messages from lots and lots of people um, about how much they enjoyed watching it. Yeah, yeah, it so was, it was, it was lovely. It was. And also another lovely part of it is my friend Sandra was on the programme with the Deaf Cavalier. Yes, yeah. That was, that's Henry. Um, and Henry and Sandra have been coming to me um, for, in my classes for dog dancing for a couple of years now. So it was just lovely to share that experience with, with her as well. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was an amazing experience. Um, and as I say, once in a lifetime. Um, and, yeah, I look forward to, you know, other things that it may bring and give us more opportunities to kind of share more love and enthusiasm for dog training. Yeah. No, it was lovely and, and well done on that. And I know you personally are preparing for the Heel Work to Music uh, competition at Crufts, aren't you, as well? Uh, fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Am I jumping the gun there? <laughs> yeah. Things, the semi-finals are on the 26th of January. Right. Um, so I have to be in the top 10 um, at the semi-finals for the Heel Work to Music for Tom and I to qualify into the finals at Crufts. Well, best of luck with that. Thank you. Okay. Now, w- what we're actually going to talk about today is your grumpy dog classes. So, first of all, t- you know, tell us what, what is a grumpy dog class? What's a grumpy dog? Okay. Um, grumpy dog is a kind of a, a terminology that I chose to use because I believe that the word aggression um, is overused in the dog world. Mm. Um, so, grumpy dogs are um, dogs that are overreactive, that react 
to to things that you know like the sight of another dog another dog moving um or you know another dog looking at them or you know so they generally lunge and bark um out at them so the dogs a grumpy dog class is is to try and like rehabilitate them really in a class environment um so yeah that's a, that's my new project and i'm absolutely loving teaching it i find i come away with big smile on my face every time because <laughs> i can see in the dog and the handler more learning how to work with their dog yeah yeah now you had quite a personal journey to that point didn't you because your first dog would you term her a grumpy dog originally totally um yeah. i got millie when she was a youngster from um, a rescue home um always wanted a border collie always um from a young child got her when i was 18 years old or 19 years old i think um i wanted a border collie because i'd always seen one man and his dog um and i wanted a what a female border collie called millie so i go to this rescue home and there she is <laughs> um so we you know do all the necessary tests and and all those things and and bring millie home and millie is a very highly strung border mm. collie mm. very very highly strong very very nervous very, very sensitive, and reacted to the birds flying in the sky. Um, her, she, she triggers, she reacts to diesel engines. You know, if um, she was walking on a lead next to a road and a diesel engine vehicle went past, she'd lunge out of the car. Mm. Um, and I went to a few classes where they um, suggested things, and it just didn't work. Um, it was being um, reactive to her um, behavior, i.e., you know, using things to try and stop her behaving like that, rather than being proactive in actually teaching her how to manage herself. Mm. Um, so I started going looking for answers and came across some, some fantastic dog trainers, um, learned a lot from them, um, applied their techniques to Millie, um, and have learned from there, really. And, and, and now, you know, I take the opportunity to teach others, um, you know, who have uh, reactive dogs into all, all sorts of triggers. Um, mm-hmm. how to, you know, how to rehabilitate the dog. I, you know, I, I don't want to have to tell Millie off um, when she reacts to something that scared her because she's not going to learn from that. I want yeah. to actually teach her, no, it's okay. You know, you can cope with that. Um, and, you know, and, and that's what we do. I mean, Millie, bless her, her, I mean, she's fast asleep on the sofa at the moment, <laughs> but, um, you know, she will react to the smell of smoke in the air sometimes. So she, her triggers generally change. Um, but then I had... Tom, my dancing boy, he was reactive to the presence of other dogs looking at him. He was oh. a bit grumpy in that sense. So I applied the same techniques to him um, and, um, you know, and teaching um, a connection-based training um, for him to choose to not react to them and actually check in with me um, rather than me telling him to look away. I taught him to check in with me. Rather, so therefore the dog is choosing what to do rather than me nagging at the dog what to do. Massive difference in the type of training that I'm teaching. Yeah, yeah. And it's obviously worked with Tom because I, when I met you and, and Tom, you were in the middle of Crufts and he was sort of spark out asleep, couldn't have given the monkeys what was going on around him, all hundreds of dogs, and he, he was just very, very laid back, wasn't he? he and, 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 you know, hopefully the proof is in the pudding. You know, the more work you put into it, um, you know, I spent six months, you know, rehabilitating Tom. That's a word I'm not particularly keen on, but, you know, basically teaching Tom how to manage himself, teaching him self-control. Um, and therefore, if he saw, um, he had a real thing for black Labradors, um, couldn't obviously read them very well, or, yeah, or I yeah. don't know, bad experience, you know, something like that. Um, and, um, you know, normally before teaching him all this to kind of tip this type of connection training, he would have, you know, lunged out, you know, barked at them. Um, and, you know, I, I felt awful. Um, yeah. and, and therefore now, or, you know, if he sees another dog he's not sure on, he checks in with me and a check-in is he looks back at me and asks me for information. Um, and, and that's what, that's what he does. And, and, and that's taken a lot of work, but it's given him a solid foundation in his self-awareness. Um, yeah. And, you know, I, I truly think it's built our relationship as well and made us more connected as, as a team. Mm-hmm. Now, you must have to... I'm just thinking, if you're dealing with a fearful dog, for example, you know, I, I can relate to it in a way because I'm terrified of bees and wasps. I know 
you know, other people will look at bees and wasps and go, well, they won't do you any harm in the way that we will look at things for our dogs and think, well, why are you being so silly about this? But that Mm. is a debilitating fear for me. So, and I know how hard it would be for anybody to cut through that fear to me. So it's a real challenge to to reach the dog. Yeah, totally. And the fantastic thing about the grumpy dog classes that I'm teaching um, currently at the dog um, barn in Middleton Cheney um, is that... I have a really good venue and I can use distance. So distance is a massive, massive, um, you know, opportunity to to help the dogs manage themselves. So you can measure their success by, you know, the distance that they're able to manage themselves. For example, um, there was this one little border collie that came to me for the first time I taught these lessons at at the dog barn. And um, Fizz, her name is, and... um, she walked in that barn screaming her head off, like oh. piercing screaming of stress. Um, couldn't cope, couldn't cope. So we, we you know, spent the time with the handler um, and um, teaching Fizz to check in with her, her handler and, and kind of de-stressing her by licking and, and trying to calm her down and taking, taking the time, because it is a grumpy dog class, you know, that it's kind of outlined what we will be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and the best and most, one of the most reinforcing things that, you know, I've seen is the next lesson she came in, she walked in on a loose lead, she was checking in with her owner, she wasn't screaming, she was calm, and it brought me to tears. Because oh. I just thought, you've done the work, you know, yeah. you've gone away, you've applied everything I've said. You know, she's always going to have that in her, that that stress but she's learning to cope with it yeah Um, and that was through her the dog's learning and the handler helping that dog learn um and that just oh it was just the most move i'm still welling up here it was just the most (laughs) reinforcing thing as a dog teacher for me um Mm. ever and and you know and and she's doing exceptionally well it's going to take time but you know she's doing well she really is yeah. Now, you've, you've sort of mentioned there, you, you take time with each person. Mm. It, I mean, to me, one of the appeals, if you can find, I mean, I don't know whether you're the only person doing sort of grumpy dog classes. Um, it's certainly the only only classes I've heard where, where you say grumpy, which I think does kind of take some of the fear away. You understand from grumpy, yeah. OK, I just need to give this dog some space. You know, it's yeah. a nicer term. But... If you go to a specifically sort of, um, if you like, problem class like that, everybody in there is in a similar situation in that they're, you know, yeah, yeah. It won't be obviously all the same, but you're all struggling. Everyone's got a story. Everyone's got a story. In life, everyone's got a story. But yeah, and and I think um, it's really nice in, in respect to that because everyone will give everyone the space. Everyone will respect one another's person you know their dog space and what i tend to do especially in the beginners class is everyone listens dogs stay in the car everyone listens to that story of that dog um of each and i only have in the beginners class i only have five Mm. um in that class so you know there's plenty of space um and there's also plenty of opportunities for me to get around to kind of meet everyone see what the handler's training technique is like um and also learn about the dog um, and read the dog. I mean, that's a massive thing for, for me. You know, all the mm. dogs, I have everything from... I have a lot of Border Collies come, a lot of them. <laughs> um, some German Shepherds. I've got a French Mastiff now coming. Um, and then I've got a Chihuahua. So, you know, I've got to learn in myself um, how to read that dog and how, you know, it's going to give me those body signals um, that it, it, it's, you know, it's not coping because they're not all the same yeah, um, yeah. at all. Yeah. I, do you know, I think that's that's a lovely approach because, you know, I've been in a class with Rusty and as soon as you think, oh, he's going to kick off or he's going to react to that dog, I get stressed. Yeah. And then I'm no good to him, you know, either way. And it's, you know, when we have had incidents and the other people in our class were very supportive, it really does make all the difference, doesn't it? Yeah, totally. I mean, I've got people in my class that have been thrown out of two, three dog clubs. And they've got nowhere to go. No. Um, and, that, and that's no, you know, discredit or putting anyone down who's throwing them out of classes. But where have these dogs got to go? You know, these owners are trying um, and, and they're looking for the help, but they're not getting it. Um, so, you know, I do have a, a, a few dogs that um, have been thrown out for, for misbehaving. Um, and, and I want to offer them the support. You know, I've been there. Um, I know how important 
embarrassing it is. You know, your dog's lunged out at this dog that's just minding its own business walking by. Yeah. Um, so I, I totally get where these people are coming from. And, you know, I just want to offer the support. I love teaching these clients. I love seeing the handlers and dogs learn. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, that's why I teach, you know. Yeah. I, you know I don't do it full time. I do it um, as a, you know, as a, a hobby as such, really, more than anything. So, you know, I, I, I do love to. And I, but I would love to do it more. Mm. I really would. Mm. I find it very reinforcing. Um, and I love teaching. It's a newfound love that I think I've found <laughs> in the later part of my life. Oh. So. Um, now, do you think that... If, if we if we term it grumpiness, you know, do you think that grumpiness is on the rise? Because we're seeing, I'm seeing things sort of on Facebook and on the internet about sort of there's the the yellow dog project, you know, where if you have yeah, a yellow, if you yeah, have a yellow I lead think that's or colour, fantastic project. Mm. Um, I've had a good look at that. Um, where I were, uh, where I trained before, we had the red bandana policy. Mm. Um, so if your dog ham had a red bandana on, it needed more space. Yeah, so it was a, a grump. A, I'd call it a grumpy dog. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, um, I think that's fantastic. I think there's more awareness of it hmm. because not just in, um, not just in like, you know, dog owners, but there's more media awareness of on the horrible and unfortunate events that we hear about sometimes on, in the newspapers and in the news. Hmm. So I think there's more awareness of it, um, definitely. And the likes of um, Caesar Milan being on the television and, and highlighting certain things, um, uh, you know, and, and, and other dog programmes as well. Um, not that I condone Susan Milan at all, don't get <laughs> no, me on that no. subject, but, um, you, know, I, I, you know, I do think there's more, more awareness of it. So I don't think there's more, more of it out there. I just think there's more awareness of it. Um, but, no, those, the, yellow, the yellow ribbon project, I think, is fantastic. Yeah, um, yeah. It's, well, yeah, it's yeah. so simple, isn't it? Just something yellow, and yeah. then people know to give you a bit more space. Yeah, no, definitely, mm. definitely. As I say, we, uh, you know, before I've used the ramp, red, or been in classes where the red bandala policy has been used. Mm. Um, and I think that's something that um, I've heard about um, people from um, America using. So, yes, um, yeah. That's where I think it stemmed from. Mm. So, right. no, I really, I, you know, I am totally think that's a good idea. People yeah. have more awareness of it. But I do think, you know, there's a m- massive opportunity for more... Um, understanding of it and and teaching it to teaching it to be proactive rather than reactive. Yeah. Um, I don't want to squirt my dog in the face with a water bottle to no. stop it barking. I oh. want it to learn to 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 manage itself with that trigger that's going to make it react. Mm. Mm. Um, if um if if someone's listening to this and they are struggling with their own grumpy mm-hmm. dog, what would you say to them? Oh. Find a good dog trainer. Find a recommended dog trainer. Mm. Um, I don't know them all. Um, you know, obviously I'm based in the Midlands. Um, uh, but, yeah, a recommended dog trainer that can help, um, you know, with proactively re- rehabilitating the dog, not reacting to their reaction. Um, that, that's what I like to see. It's not everyone's cup of tea. It does take handler skill and it also takes handler understanding and learning. It's not just all about the dog learning how to manage itself. It's also about the, the handler learning to read the dog. Um, so that's all I can say, really. I am, mm. I'm just about to start doing some filming for some DVDs. Mm. Um, so I am hoping in the next year to bring out um, a grumpy dog DVD. Excellent. Um, I really, I, yeah, so that's all in the making at the moment. I, I'm, I'm starting to do some dog dancing um, DVDs that will be out for crafts. Um, yeah. But um, then I'm hoping to put my Grumpy Dog um, workshop um, in on, onto a DVD because I don't think there's anything out there. No, it or, is hard, isn't it? It's... It is. The only stuff I've found that's out there is um, a fantastic guy from Belgium called Gert de Bolster, who's fantastic, and he's an aggression specialist. Hmm. Um, he's coming over in May. Um, and then a couple of American um, trainers that are, I think do some fantastic work. That's not discrediting any British trainers at all, <laughs> um, but I, I just haven't, our paths haven't crossed. Um, so, you know, uh, the, you know, the likes of Kay Lawrence in, in Mickleton in, in Chipping, near Chipping Camden, she's a fantastic dog trainer, but she doesn't choose to specialise in 
um, grumpy dogs at, at all, I don't think. So, yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, yes, there, there are some good ones out there, but I, I couldn't honestly tell you a recommended list because <laughs> I certainly wouldn't want to recommend anyone that I don't actually personally know the, you know, what they do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, you've given us a lot of information there and some, some great advice, you know, for anyone uh, struggling with a, a grumpy dog. Um, where can people find out more about you online? Um, I have a, a blog um, and it's htmjennydeakin.blogspot.co.uk. Um, that's me. It's all about what me and my dogs are up to and also about where I'm teaching. So I teach at um, the dog barn in, just on the outskirts of Banbury in Oxfordshire once a month. Um, I'm hoping to do more. I'm hoping to do more in the Midlands. Um, it's just finding the, the venues, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I do hope to do more um, in the near future um, and also kind of keep my um, enthusiasm up going by meeting lots of different dogs and, and, and help work with them. Um, another story. I started working with um, a little um, husky cross um, mm. called Spirit and his owner um, three years ago. Um, and Spirit bit me on the kind of first few months that we um, mm. we started working together. Um, I didn't realise he had sensitive feet, and then um, I just went to pick up something next to him, and he bit me. Mm. Um, and we've been working with him for um, some time, and, and, and Vicky, his handler, has been learning as well. Um, and they stepped in the dog dancing ring a couple of weekends ago and did their first ever routine. And it just the whole routine just totally showed the connection they had that they had built through not just doing the grumpy dog stuff that I do, but also, you know, teaching him certain moves and behaviours for dog dancing. Yeah. And it, putting it all as one was just, again, a massive special moment for me to kind of think, yeah, you guys have got it. You know, you've, you've worked really hard. And, and, and Vicky came out in tears. Aww. So, you know, it was a very special moment for, for them and for me. And, you know... The more I want to kind of, that's what I want to capture on film. That's what I want people to see, that this can, this does work. It does take time, but um, it's so reinforcing in the long run rather than mm. the short term. Mm. I, the thing is, for me, whether you're working with a grumpy dog or, you know, the most laid back dog in the world or, you know, and whatever discipline you choose to go into, whether you're doing heel work to music or yeah. agility or water training or rally or, mm-hmm. you know, it is about that connection. That's what you're striving for, to have the best connection with your dog that yeah. you can achieve, isn't it? Totally. And I think um, in a lot of activity-based training that we, we do, we tend to miss out a lot of foundation stuff. Um, we tend to want to have, you know, the A-frame or the dog walk or the, the jumping sequence or the twist, the spin, the, you know, the walking back or the heel work. Um, we actually forget those foundation bits that yes we may have done in puppy class but some of those foundation techniques that you do in puppy class you actually need to keep reinforcing throughout and you don't because you get focused on the wrong thing Mm. um so that's what i teach um not just in the grumpy dog class but also in all of the the dog training classes i do um so yeah it's um it's something it's a massive and massive learning curve for me i don't have all the answers but i definitely i love to learn and, and learn as i go really so the more I do, the more I can learn. Yeah, yeah. Jenny, as ever, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Um, I'd love to catch up with, with you and Tom at Crufts. Um, oh, we'll... Yeah, do some hello <laughs> and to the team. I'm sure there are, there's, there's lots of fans of your, um, your show on, on, on the team. So oh, brilliant. They, Excellent. They love to hear from you. And also, I'd like to say, Lucy and Indy, the winners of That Dog Can Dance, yeah. are massive fans of yours. Oh, wow. <laughs> massive fans of yours. So, uh, you know, I'm sure she'd love to meet you as well. Excellent. Well, well, we'll come along. I'm hoping to get Buddy there one day. Um, oh, definitely, one day definitely. This Cruft, this Cruft. So uh, a big meet-up and a big love-up at uh, Crufts then. <laughs> oh, definitely. It's always good fun. It's a brilliant day out. I'll be catching up with Jenny, Tom and her team at Crufts, and I'm really looking forward to seeing all their performances and demonstrations. We have all the links that Jenny referred to on the Dogcast Radio site. And if you, like me, have a grumpy dog, I hope that interview gave you hope. I brought a Border Collie back home to Vancouver, from Wales, where some of my ancestors are from, and needed to challenge him in other ways than just being my pet. So I investigated sheep herding and took a few lessons, and decided I was probably learning more than my dog. Jane Sibbery.
On the 6th of February this year, DEFRA announced that as of April 2016, it will be a legal requirement for all dogs in the UK to have a microchip. This has sparked fierce debate in the media and online, with some very much in favour of it and some vehemently opposed. I think it's definitely a step in the right direction, although it's not the complete answer, but I do believe it will encourage responsible ownership and breeding and will help reunite lost and stolen dogs with their owners. Although, of course, we will need a legal compulsion on all bodies and authorities who deal with dogs, from dog wardens to vets, to scan for microchips if the system is going to be really effective. I'd love to hear what you think on this subject. Is your dog already microchipped? It might already be a legal requirement where you live. Or, if you're worried about chipping your dog, what are your concerns? One of my favourite authors, Ted Kerasoti, has a new book out, Pucker's Promise, The Quest for Longer Lived Dogs. And in the next episode, we'll have an in-depth interview with him about the pup who came after Merle and about the fascinating and worrying research he's been wading through to discover how to help our beloved dogs live as long as possible. And of course, next month is Crufts, the biggest pedigree dog show in the world and a huge celebration of all things dog. So we'll be in attendance to get news and interviews. Until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. What's black and white and red all over? An embarrassed Dalmatian.